0: Hi, Fashion Hotline. Hi, after this long winter, my family needs a style pick-me-up for spring. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy. Yep, spring's first big sale is on now. Pick up fresh styles for the family from just five, ten, and fifteen dollars. Put tees and tanks from five bucks, kids' shorts from ten bucks, and jeans from fifteen bucks. Whoa, styles from just five bucks? That's right. Plus, get 50% off swimwear and buy online and pick up in store for free today. Now that's a real pick-me-up. Get to Old Navy and Old now for spring styles from five, ten and fifteen bucks. About three eighteen to three twenty six in stores. Select styles only. Excludes licensed and in store clearance. Hey, and welcome to Juvenilian. I'm Alan McGuire.
1: And I'm Alan Tanner.
0: And with us today is Jenny Hoolwon. Hello. One of your organisers of Octicon. Yes. And you're here to talk to us about June. Yes. So there's a gazillion versions of June. <laughs> so we should probably start with the one you experienced first. So what was that?
2: My first experience of June is rather unusual because it wasn't the book, and it wasn't actually the David Lynch film. Okay. It was the book made about the film. Did you ever see when they were trying to sell stuff to kids, you'd get a a condensed version of the book yeah. with pictures and stills from the film mm-hmm. to tell the story. Well, um the year that the Dune came out, uh, the movie came out, um I would have been eleven, and as one of the stocking fillers my brother got this book <laughs> so I remember sitting there and he would no interest in it and I was pouring through it and looking at it and looking at the imagery in it, the pictures mm-hmm. and the very simple, like, simple kind of plot story in it and we found it really fascinating mm-hmm. and then um, a little while later when we were going and uh, visiting tips it was uh, on in the Savoy so you had the big marquee of the Savoy with the picture of all of the cast with okay. Paul Atreides in the front as Colin McLachlan and it was just it just looked so cool yeah. and I didn't know what it was so I had to wait a couple of years till it was on telly, and then I was then I was allowed to watch it, <laughs> and then eventually they went looking for the book in the library. And the book is pretty. It's a tome, like it's huge. No, it, it's not that the original book isn't. There's five books in the series. The original book was written by Frank Herbert and published in 1965. Um, it won the first ever Nebula Award for science fiction. It was one of the few books which tied for when it won a Hugo Award. So um, it's. 10 years older than I am, published 65, and it's been really influential when it comes not only to science fiction, but also fantasy, because mm-hmm. it is very much a fantasy-type story in a science fiction universe.
0: Okay. I've, I've read somewhere that it's not considered hard sci-fi, it's considered a soft sci-fi, but mm-hmm. would that be accurate? Or
2: Well, see, hard sci-fi is when the technology or the aliens are the major theme so in, okay. in, in science fiction. So they take precedence. Yeah. So soft sci-fi will be a science fiction setting but the things that are being teased out in it are soft humanity type issues. Okay. So um book I'm reading at the moment is Savant by Nick Vincent Abnett. And it is a sci fi setting, but it's the interpersonals in that and how he- people figure out things. So that's why it would be a, a soft sci fi rather than a hard
0: sci fi. Okay. Because mm. me and Alan aren't sci fi people. Not at all. Not just, it's it's very hard to find an entry point sometimes. Yeah things, it's hard to something find, something find as big a way is that yeah. Well, I don't know. Oh.
3: What
1: What <laughs> are you watching?
0: Actually, do watch a lot. Do watch a lot of sci-fi.
1: I'm trying to think. I'm like, does Buffy
2: count? Yes.
1: Yeah. 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 Like, I lo- and I think maybe soft sci-fi would be. It's what I would enjoy because I always like it when it's about the interpersonal relationships or like how they like like in Dune how they try to figure out how this society runs rather than the the, the stuff that they have the technology. Yeah. I'm always more drawn to like the human side, but like. What would you recommend? I know it's not about you, but like as an entry point for more sci-fi stuff that is is like accessible.
2: Um, well, it depends what people like. I recently did my man the double twenty nineteen table, the WorldCon table at Double City Comic Con, mm-hmm. where we gave away over five hundred free books. So I spent the weekend being a book whisperer and saying to people, "What do you read? What do you like? Is it fantasy? Is it science fiction? What have mm-hmm. you read recently?" And then, because I read a hell of a lot, been able to pick out stuff that people mm-hmm. would like. So it depends. So um, there's some. Uh, Anne McCaffrey is a really good series. It's just two books. Okay. Not a trilogy, just two. And it it's called The Crystal Singer. Okay. Um, I, and I absolutely out? recommend mm-hmm. that. Killa Ree is the um, protagonist. And all of the ships have to have this special cut crystal cut at a certain resonance. And you have to be able to sing and vibrate through your device to cut this crystal.
1: Oh, cool. That's um, that's but yeah, I okay. recommend
2: that. And yeah. uh, Damni Children is another series okay. as well. So you
1: know when you just need someone who... Like uh, has a level of knowledge to pluck out some stuff for you because it seems overwhelming yeah
2: I would absolutely heartily recommend going into Hodges Fidges and going up to the sci-fi section there there's a wonderful lady who works there called Mary Bridget and she is a book whisperer oh cool and okay. she's amazing yeah. and she reads a lot so she'd be well able to point you out I'm going to yeah. do
0: that I think because we're both the oldest siblings yeah. as well. We don't. We never had people to rec- yeah, drop exactly. stuff down to us.
3: Yeah, uh, No, I'm really
2: lucky because my dad is a big fantasy and sci-fi reader. Yeah, mm. So by 11 I had read Lord of the Rings and uh, C. Clarke had said that Doom was comparable to Lord of the Rings in terms of being a groundbreaking science fiction book. Mm-hmm. So um, I used to go to the library in Finglas and uh, go down and get books and I would be meant to return my dad's books as well, and sometimes they would get renewed instead, and I'd read them. <laughs> and, um, and when the last few Doom books um, came into the library, we swapped them between the two of us. Oh, you read them yeah. together, kind yeah. of? Yeah, that's really nice. That's Very really much odd. so. Yeah. Yeah. So it, we would go to the library once a month or once yeah. a week, all of us, the five of us, go down yeah. and pick mm. books and we'll come back. And my dad was also huge in the comics, so we were brought up with comics. So I, I don't see any difference between. Different mediums. Yeah. So, if a character and stories are engaging in a comic and a book and a TV series or a film, I want to know about that, that stuff mm. and that story. Mm. And I, some of them have different strengths and different weaknesses. Yeah. but I don't see any of them as being lesser because they're amazing. <laughs> no, yeah, the good story is the good story.
0: Um, so, when you finally read the book, like the the real June, as opposed to like the novelization one, yeah. Well, I saw the mo- I saw
2: the movie first. Oh, okay, right, so and then. I saw. Um, David Lynch did not get final cut on the film which he was mm-hmm. not happy with. Mm-hmm. The film did run into uh, problems <laughs> shooting down in Mexico with all the sand. And what's really interesting is there's a wealth of information you can get about the film given the fact that it was still uh, mid mid early 80s. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't have the same behind the scenes stuff mm-hmm. back then as what we would do now. Yeah. But Sean Young um, played Cheney in it and she brought her camera with her. So we have all these pictures and all these stills of her goofing around on set and the background and people interacting. So there's a lot more about what was happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And I found that fascinating to be able to kind of pull it apart. So um, there are several cuts and several editions of Dune. Mm. Um, a couple of years back, I made my kids watch my one, which is on VHS, because I still have my <laughs> Sony player. <laughs> really? Yes. And um, they enjoyed the film, but then I rewound the film and the noise apparently was appalling. <laughs> um, but to sit there and watch that. And Dune has a voiceover at the start. Which also Blade Runner does. And Blade Runner is my other favourite movie. And when I get okay. a chance to go see it, I'll see it in the cinema. and um, But Dune has an amazing soundtrack, and Toto wrote a lot of the music. So mm-hmm. we think of Toto's pop songs, but the orchestration behind it, the different theme music for the different characters, mm-hmm. it's just amazing to listen to. So to sit and actually watch that is just great. But they also have that voiceover, and you get different cuts of people like different cuts of Blade Runner, and people like different cuts of Dune. Mm-hmm. But the Dune one starts with. The Imperial Princess or Lance, just her head, so the division of the starfield, and she talks at you <laughs> and fades away again. And some people absolutely hate that. Yeah, I found it really weird. But it, do you like it? I found it fascinating because um, Virginia Madsen, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But uh, the first book gets a lot of uh, critique for not being feminist enough. There are strong people. F- Fitman characters in it but they mm. only seem to serve to prop up the the, the male character stories yeah. Yeah. but by f- but when you read the book it is told by Princess Erlan who's the uh, Empire's chronicler and writes the official biography of her husband which is Paul Atreides' mm-hmm. so it is everything that the book is through her framework as she experienced it mm-hmm. as the royal historian so when the film opens up with that for me that put context in this is her telling what happened
0: okay mm-hmm it's strange she's not in the the rest of the film a whole no. lot well in in the the main cut of the, the original cut
2: yeah you just she see her being decorative on a father's arm yeah, and she been told does shows she up and who you're told yeah yeah,
0: yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so it's an it's an unusual choice to give her the the voiceover and then not be particularly present in it so
2: the when you read dune it is a bit like um the princess bride the princess bride is written as an actual book, yes. a telling of a story, a chronicle, something happened. Mm. And Dune is the same because you get the, the premise is from her. And then at the top of every every chapter, there's a little quote. And the quotes are from all the things in the universe that Frank Herbert created. So you get quotes from the Bene Jesuit sisterhood. You get quotes from um, Ix, which are the people who kept on with AI after society said, AI's not good, AI's gonna kill us, they got rid of all the LDA the LDAI, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. AI. Um and you get quotes from the the guild navigators who fly the ships, you get quotes from the Fremen in the desert in Arrakis, and you get you've got the quotes from the Orange Catholic Bible. <laughs> 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 all these little snippets just at the just at the the top of the chapter to go, What is this? Where is this from? Why mm-hmm. does this matter? And mm-hmm. then you read the chapter and then kinda go, Oh but it's just as a as a multi layered Book to tear into that has Mm. so much crammed into it Mm. and so many new ideas. And of course, they were never going to translate that into a film and there are parts of the films where it's it's really silly and really cheesy mm-hmm. but I think if you know that and you go into it mm. it's fun mm. <laughs> um, Hollywood Babylon in the lighthouse cinema did a screening of Dune about two years ago and I was absolutely thrilled because I'd only seen it once on the big screen and mm-hmm. this was a bigger screen and again the full surround sound. Mm. and we're there and a couple of people were like well this is really cheesy and it's Dune because anybody actually here like Dune and most of the room put up their hand and they're like oh okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> like I'm oh, yeah. sorry <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, it's something I love it's something I'm passionate about mm-hmm. and if other people that like it that's okay that's so, not yeah. going to stop me loving it do
0: you <laughs> enjoy the campy aspects of the film yeah. or do you would you prefer like a, a, a straighter, more straight ahead version
2: yeah Patrick Stewart's amazing in it he is yes. actually. Yeah. he plays Gurney yeah. yeah. Halleck the weapons master mm-hmm. and to see him just being surly and hilarious and cantankerous is just great mm-hmm. and you get you know um, lines like you know we have worm sign the likes of God has never seen and <laughs> <laughs>
1: I loved any time they mentioned spice I thought it was so funny just because of the word spice spice
2: must flow yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so let's explain what that is yeah Yeah. so there's this substance called spice that's Mm -hmm. the the colloquial term for it it's known as melange and it only exists in the entire universe on one planet and that's Mm. Arrakis which is also known as Dune and its majority is sand planet. But this spice increases health. It allows the Bene wishes to have their psychic powers. It allows the guild navigators to fold space yeah. so that the that the big, huge ships... So it keeps the Empire running. Without it, you can't fold space. Without it, the truth sayers can't tell if somebody's lying. Mm-hmm. Without it, the Mentats or the human computers, they use it to cogitate because they because they got government of thinking machines and AI. Um, so without spice, basically, the Empire falls apart. So you have The spice is available on this one planet. Mm -hmm. And because it's an empire and because colonialism is a thing it was obviously invaded, took over we're having your spice lads and the (laughs) natives get treated very badly Mm -hmm. um, which nothing like that would ever happen in real life. No, (laughs) I've never heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, so you have the native population waiting for their messiah to come. Mm. Th- who's been promised is going to come and lead them in, in rebellion and uh, they're, they're, they they're have prophecies around trying to turn Arrakis from a desert planet into a lush water planet mm. so at the centre of this you have the struggle between two houses so it is a bit like Italian feuds between mm. the houses mm. with the Harkonnen and the Atreides because the Panachar fourth time emperor only has a daughter so who's going to be the next emperor Um, And it's not going to be the daughters, whoever the daughter marries. Mm. So the two houses in descendants are the Atreides and the Harkonnen. And the Harkonnen had Dune, had Arrakis, and plundered and raped and pillaged, and actually caused disruptions to the spice flow. So then you have this council comes together and go, well, we're not happy with this and you're doing a crap job. So because they did a crap job, they then give ownership of the planet and the responsibility to House Atreides. Mm -hmm. And that's when you see Dune... The, the book starts. You see, young Paul Atreides with his mother and his father, and his mother's Lady Jessica, and she never married the Duke. Um, she did, the Duke always said he loved her too much to marry her, because then she would be a Duchess and she would have to have all the pomp and circumstances and mm-hmm. duties of that. Um, so he she was the royal concubine and the mother of his son, and and she was told only to have girls. Because the Bene Gesserit, who do all the training and they're the, the secret cult who organise all the genetics mm. had hoped that an Atreides girl would marry a Harkonnen boy mm. because you've all this behind machine machinations happening. Mm. So you get the shift of the planet and you see Paul Atreides training because he's going to be leaving his home planet of Caladan which is basically a water planet and they're to uproot all of themselves to this new planet Mm. and all of the dangers and all of the um, things, the traps and the tricks that the Harkonnens would have left behind Mm. and can they survive there in this place? Can they make new friends? Can they find sand power uh, in in Arrakis? So it's like they're basically being
1: sent on a mission but it's not as straightforward as that when you actually... See the movie. It was really interesting. It was basically just like family feuds, kind of. Yeah. When you look at it like in a really basic way. Spoilers,
2: betrayals happen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: There is betrayals. And worms.
0: Yeah. Dean Stockwell's plan um, to get revenge for his wife's death is needlessly complicated, I would say. Uh,
2: I found it really interesting because... One of the classes, you've got the mentals, you've got the guild navigators, mm. are these um, uh, empirical doctors who are meant to be trained and mm. have mental blocks and they serve their families and they, they will not betray their families. Mm-hmm. And they find a way to Huey, Huey, a thousand deaths, not enough for Huey, uh, is the <laughs> curse that gets laid on him, that he betrays the, the Atreides family. Mm-hmm. And the our has come back into ascendance. So you see Duke Leto dies. Lady Jessica and young Paul Atreides get away Mm -hmm. and they manage to find refuge with the indigenous population on the planet and then eventually uh, organise a rebellion. And not only do they uh, take over duel, they take over the entire empire because he who can destroy it, he controls it. So by living with the Fremen, he finds a way to actually screw up the entire ecology so there will be no more spice Mm -hmm. Mm. and rule the empire because the spice is part of the ecosystem caused by these great huge enormous worms sandworms mm. <laughs> and they ride them they climb them with hooks and they ride
1: them to the desert cool,
0: actually.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I thought he... that was so funny Just he looked so happy with himself <laughs> by the time he ascended into the worm was great.
2: <laughs> well that was the rite of passage for those that yeah. came up through mm. the stitches and through the feminist society that mm. you were a warrior when you could summon a thumper uh, because Dune is a desert planet any rhythmic vibrations on the sand will summon these giant worms who will come and eat you um, which is really interesting when you see um, people being eaten in Star Wars you're kind of going that looks really familiar oh the that, yeah. yeah, that looks yeah. really familiar yeah. that's because did you know that George Lucas originally when he wrote the first script for Star Wars said it in the Dune universe and he asked Frank Herbert could he write this story with the Dune universe and Frank goes no Really? Yeah. <laughs> and Did he give so, a reason why uh, he didn't think it fit. Mm-hmm. And as a result, mm-hmm. then um, we get Star Wars. We wouldn't have Star Wars if it wasn't for Dune.
0: Trying to figure out how th- that would have mapped onto the Dune universe would would like Darth Vader have been like a new family or?
2: Well, no. When you've you've got Dune, you've got uh, Dune, uh, Children of Dune, Chapter House of Dune, Dune Messiah. Eventually, the reason why the Bene Gesserit witches wanted the two houses to have a boy and a girl was that eventually they would have a child and this child would be a super being the Quiddarts Hadrak. It's because the mental powers that the Bene Gesserit have are only accessible to women Okay, um, but there's meant to be this super being who's a man who'd be able to wield these powers. Mm-hmm. So they had been plotting the genetics for generations untold, thinking that this union between a Harcolan and an Atreides would produce this Quisatzhagarr Hadaract that they could control. Mm-hmm. It turns out Jessica was told only to have daughters, but loved the Duke so much that she had a son, and it turns out that. Paul actually is this Quid's Arts hadorak, and the Bene Jesuits don't find out until it's too late so they can't actually mould him and control him and mm-hmm. then they lose him because he's lost on the planet Dune mm-hmm. and he ends up being his own person um, which is I am really fascinating but it's really interesting to see that the Emperor in Star Wars well of the psychic and magic powers it's similar to the things which happened to Paul Atreides yeah. and to his mm-hmm. son Leto Atreides in the further books Okay, so there is a crossover
1: so like as well as Star Wars, you were saying just like that. This the book and the the series of books is like influential in sci-fi in general. Where else would you
2: see the influence of Dune? Like, well, there's what's called the most influential film ever made. Alis Alajaro was originally meant to make Dune. Uh, he was uh, a very unusual Russian-Italian director mm-hmm. considered too avant-garde too weird mm-hmm. and he decided he was going to get Dune and he got the rights and he had them for nine years so he put together his own cast so we'd Salvia Dali was going to play the Emperor Orson Welles was going to play Her- uh, Baron Harkonnen Mick Jagger was meant to play Fade Harkonnen who's was then cast as Sting mm. in, the, in the Lynch film. So he, he put together, and he worked with Hater uh, Geiger, he worked with Pat O'Bannon, and he actually put together this amazing cast and did everything, put, cast the film, did all the sets, or all the set design, mm. and created this big, huge book, because that's how it was done back in the day. When you were designed you were going to make a movie, you'd make your book, and then your book would be shopped around all the different studios. Mm. The studios were really interested in it, but they weren't interested in him as director-producer. Okay. So, we, this book then was seen by a whole range of people. Mm. And then, when he lost the rights and they were picked up by uh, Flor Martinez, um, we see, except if this movie hadn't been made, we wouldn't have Pat O'Bannon going on to do Alien. Mm. Mm. We, but Pat O'Bannon and H.R. Geiger never would have met. Mm. And then you see the signs, ship design. There's stuff in Babylon 5 which are very similar to the ship design mm. that of the ships that were never made mm. <laughs> in, in this movie. Um, it is, there is a documentary about it. There's a certain amount of it up on YouTube. Really? I think the uh, the documentary with Alejandro himself talking about it is on Vimeo. Mm. It,
0: I watched about half of it. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. The stuff like his He also had his opening shot his plan for it and it was to start outside the universe and zoom in all the way into a space battle with pirate ships. Oh wow. But in the 70s. So but they, they, he's people reckon he probably couldn't have made the film he wanted to make until probably 90 in the, the 90s probably yeah because the, the it was too ambitious the tech wasn't there for his yeah. show yeah and also his he wanted his son to be Paul Atreides who was 12 years old so he had him training with a, a martial arts master for 6 hours a day 7 days a week for 2 years learning like 7 different forms of martial arts just to be in this and then
1: never, never made the film. yeah,
0: yeah his 12 year old son 6 hours a day 7 days a week yeah his son seems okay about it now yeah but I'd, be I'd pretty say pretty be annoyed because yeah. he was in his previous films he played. Yeah. So yeah.
1: Then you could also at least you'll have learned something after that. Like I mean yeah. so you'll walk away with something. It's an origin
0: story. Yeah. Oh yeah. for sure. <laughs> a good yeah. or bad one like we don't know. You could go either way Yeah, with that. Definitely, flip yeah. a coin like. Yeah.
2: But there's, awesome. there's there's so much to do and to look at it I, I like sci-fi which whether it be hard sci-fi or soft sci-fi, that makes me think about it. So it is empire, it is colonization, it's an exploitation of a resource from um, a native, aboriginal race of people. It is also technology. It's also there's a whole. It's also ecology because mm-hmm. um, what right do we to change the climate? Who gets the sides mm-hmm. to change the climate? And uh, there's absolutely so much in that. So when you get to chair a national science fiction convention, you get to do things like we're making your theme Dune. And people go. <laughs> What? And most people are like, we don't really know us, don't really like it. Mm-hmm. But it means that I can have panels on AI. I can have panels on ecology. I can have apologies yeah. on terraforming other planets. I am, um, you know, ex- exploiting resources on mm-hmm. other, other planets. Mm-hmm. There's, there's so much of a wealth of scope for conversation that comes out
1: of that. It's great. It covers so many different things. That's like, because when I had, I liked David Lynch, but I'd never seen Dune and I'd always seen it as people talked about it as like this kind of camp film that just didn't do very well and was kind of incomprehensible and impenetrable. It's not Flash Gordon Camp. No. No, No, (laughs) it's not. No. No. But it was kind of like people were like, oh, it's not his best and stuff. But then when I was researching about like the book and the film and stuff, like all the the environmental themes that run through it and stuff, when the book was published that kind of coincided with like space exploration and all that different stuff and like Earth Day and like public consciousness turning towards what humans are doing to the planet and stuff. So I thought that part of it was really interesting and I never knew that before.
0: Wasn't Frank Herbert a journalist who like researched desertification certification and stuff before that? Isn't that how he, he got spent it?
2: five years researching before he yeah. wrote a deal. Yeah.
0: It's amazing, just some clicks and then yeah. a whole universe comes out of that. So and, and such yeah. a fascinating universe. And
2: mm. I have you now there's the five books that he wrote and then there was a wealth of stuff left over which is some wrote books. And I'm a bit of a purist where mm. I'm like, no. <laughs> like, Have
0: you read them? Or you just, I you? haven't read them. You haven't? Okay. I
2: haven't read them. Other people have read them and they're fine, but no, I'm happy with those mm. five. Yeah.
0: So, so do you have a favourite iteration of June?
2: It has to be that movie. It has just, really? it does. Mm. The, it's the music. It's the, mm. I'm having a grumpy day. I'm having a crappy day or I'm coming out of a migraine or mm. I, I just, it's, it's, Dune and Blade Runner are my comfort movies. Mm. Mm. Even down to the music soundtrack. Just to stick it on a listen. Yeah. Do you find that it has like
1: a because you saw it when you were pretty young, do you think that that aspect of it is there, you know, like when you go back to stuff when you were young, when you if you were coming back from being sick or something, to just kind of make yourself feel okay, again, would Dune be like your yeah. go to? Yeah, comfort yeah. movie.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Dune or Blade Runner. Yeah. Mm. Why
1: why does Blade Runner like what does where did that come in
2: to things for you well see June really was you know i like I said I was reared around reared with comics my dad got comics my dad had Vampirella comics and Crypt comics and Asterix mm-hmm. and Oblux comics and we all went to the library so books and comics and films were always just different ways of telling stories mm-hmm. um, so when I then got into Herbert was my intro to reading more sci-fi stuff and not mm-hmm. being afraid and I blitzed through all of them. I was very lucky between Finglas Library and Ballymun Library. Mm-hmm. Ballymun had all the Asimovs and Clarks and I could cycle from where I lived in Finglas to Ballymun Library or they would order stuff in and the very lovely head librarian of Finglas Library gave me my adult tickets two years early. Good sound. Because there were paper tickets back then because yeah. I am old <laughs> and my paper tickets were ratty and he goes yeah so you're, you're 16 soon and I just looked and he goes just Get your dad to sign that. So once I had my parents' removal but the Ailish was amazing. And if he wasn't sure if I should be allowed to have a book, he said, "Just let me ring your dad." <laughs> oh my god, that's such a level of care. Like that's so nice. Mm. Well, that's like that's why librarians are amazing. I love libraries. So yeah. I had then just torn through uh, all of the classic stuff, mm. Highland, uh, um, um, and then I discovered Harry Harrison. Um, the stainless steel rap books are hilarious. It's if you like James Bond and if you like sci-fi, you like something that's really told of cheek, hmm. the stainless steel rat books They're they're quite short. Yeah. Are really over the top and silly and hilarious. Okay. That's
0: um, completely new to me. I never even heard that of sounds that. Sounds
2: like a cool hybrid of two yeah. things. Like, yeah. like espionage
1: and sci-fi together. Yeah.
0: Steel and rats. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hi, we're just interrupting you to tell you about the sponsor for this episode. It is abortion rights campaign and we want to tell you about the march for choice that is going to be taking place on september 30th that's a saturday and it's going to kick off at the garden of remembrance at 2 p.m and there's going to be lots of really cool speakers there talking about choice and why ireland needs free safe and legal access to abortion
0: i think that's i don't have anything to add to that you're going to be stewarding that aren't you? yeah i'll be there i'll be there i'll See be you there ready? repeal the 8th repeal the 8th yeah yeah I want to highlight a particular part of June that I really, really liked, and it's one of the campier bits. But it just—it's going to stick with me forever. It's when Patrick Stewart is running into battle holding a pug yes. near the end. Yes, I loved that. I
1: love that they have pugs in this universe. Yeah. <laughs> there's <earth. Talk> one, <laughs> me, there's, like, there's one
0: pug. Probably know, There's this one pug, and it's is, tucked is, under is it, his is arm. Is a yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like hard boiled, but with a pug instead of a baby, which is the pug wants to fight as yeah. much as anyone else.
2: Mm-hmm. What's really interesting was he did. June and Excalibur came out roughly at the same time Mm. so he was in one of the biggest fantasy films and he was in one of the biggest uh, science fiction films at the
0: time I found it weird because I was a huge um, Star Trek Next Generation fan when I was small Uh, but it was probably I started watching about 95 I'd say it was only when it was on repeats in Sky so when I was watching June it was like that's an old film in my head but he looks exactly the same as he was in Star Trek but there's only like three years between Mm -hmm. June and Star Trek starting, so he just looked like that for Forever. For 30, 40 years now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> He's really kind of, he plateaued and yeah. stayed. Like he reached his peak <clears throat> and hasn't dipped yeah. since. My
0: wife's granddad was the same. He um, went bald when he was at 30. I just of him at football clubs for like photos in the mm-hmm. 70s. He looks exactly the same as he did in 2010. He just went bald and just looked the exact same age for 40 years. Well, presumed. It's so weird. But no, he like aged like 20 years in like a year. He just looks. You know, some people just look like an old man just straight away. Yeah. And Patrick Stewart did the same, but just. I think it's the grey. Well, see, yeah. Again, yeah.
2: I'm old. So I did Hamlet for my leaving cert. try. Yeah. And it was the old BBC's on VHS version of Hamlet. We watched that with Derek Jacobi.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: Derek Jackabay as Hamlet, but had uh, Patrick Stewart as Claudio. Yep. And he had hair, and it was that's, curls, <laughs>
1: silver right, and black curls. I've yeah. never
2: seen him with hair.
1: I'm gonna have to it's that. It's weird.
0: Yeah. In some of the Star uh, Trek start Next Generation episodes where there's flashbacks, he has like a nice brown floppy hair cut as well.
1: Cause I just keep thinking of him. Like, that's, I never really, like. again, it was always stuff like Star Trek and Stargate SU-1. They were always the thing I'd watch the last 10 minutes of before the new Simpsons was on. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I my experience mm. of them was. Mm. But then, like, I know my dad loved Star Trek, so I need to maybe talk to him about that. and
2: My nana loved Star Trek. Did she? My nana, yeah. And I used to go over to visit her and we'd sit and watch it. And she liked the idea that it was looking to the future. It was the the positive message. And this was the original series, which Mm -hmm.
3: was
2: cardboard rocks and cheesy. But the infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And the idea Mm -hmm. that we're going to actually leave this planet and do better. You know, and the money and capitalism hasn't destroyed humanity. Mm I think it's really interesting. Have you you seen the sci-fi Channel series of Dune, the mini series. No, no. I've heard
0: it's it's a more faithful take than the film. Would that fair to say.
2: It's more faithful. Um, yeah. It is more aesthetically pleasing. It is closer in line to the book. Uh, Susan Sarandon plays uh, <gasps> Reverend Mulder Mohammed Guy
1: What is it about
0: like Dune that it gets really good casts, really no matter what form it's in? Yeah. Like <laughs> even the ones that aren't, don't get made have amazing casts. Yeah, they're, yeah. Just,
1: they're like Susan. I need to watch that now because I love her. <laughs>
2: <laughs> she's a, she's this a, quite wimple, and on anybody else it would look absurd. And mm. you just kind of go, "Oh wow!" And yeah. just her her presence and nuance, and which just gives a look, and that's all she needs to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it covers the first two books. It's a mini series. It's uh, three pieces, and it covers the first two books. So you see, uh, Cheney and Paul's children, the twins. Mm. Um, so Cheney. Doesn't marry Paul the same way Lady Jessica never married the Duke. Okay. So he had to marry uh, Princess Erlan to become the Emperor. Mm-hmm. Um And then he Cheney was his wife, and Cheney and Cheney had children with. Mm-hmm. Um And so you know, this Erlan had to console herself by doing the histories and the biography because she would never be in a, in a loving relationship. Mm-hmm. Which is where you see the, fi- the final line in Dune in the original cause is given to Lady Jessica, um, where she says to Cheney. Those of us who are concubines, history will call us wives. So they may have legally not been wives, yeah. but in, ev- mm-hmm. in every sense of the case. Mm-hmm. But it, it takes up the twins and it takes up um, the profit side of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you find that
1: because it's split into parts, it, it gives it more time to fully kind of flesh out the universe in a way that the Lynch movie wasn't quite able to do?
2: Or is the, it different? Like, I think if you have no idea what a Dune is and you sit down and try to watch the Lynch movie, it might be just a bit too much to try and figure it all out. Mm-hmm. I think that's what happened to me. I was like, what? <laughs> and then I read like about
1: four different synopses of it and I was like, okay, I, th- I get it now.
2: Although there's mm-hmm. an incredibly detailed wiki article on Dune. So mm-hmm. if somebody was thinking of going and watching it or, or finding a copy to watch, read the big long wiki first. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just arm yourself with the knowledge and then go in. Yeah. 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 But I think
1: I might try the mini series.
0: I think I would as well. Yeah.
1: Because, um, Susan Sarandon and, yeah. and like
2: do you who was behind it the miniseries it was you the know? sci-fi series sci-fi okay. channel um, was... it, it, it deals with the more religious aspects which weren't dealt with uh, in the Lynch movie as much mm-hmm. because that's one of the things A lot, some sci-fi will not hard or soft will not have religion in any way shape or form mm-hmm. and this had a, a multiplicity um, which I think maybe is why then I went on to like Babylon 5 mm-hmm. you know um, there's no religion really much in Star Trek and that's fine people may have personal stuff but there's no But in Babylon 5, all the different races do. And you see Mm -hmm. Sheridan explaining that humans have a range of different beliefs as the Mm. one monolithic block. Mm. So I think um, that's always interested me because I think um, I'm pagan and I think i mean brought up Roman Catholic and rejected that and then was atheist agnostic. And then, no, there's, there's stuff that works for me in my life and figuring out my spirituality. I think spirituality can very much be a force for good. Yeah I think so too If yeah. not used to oppress Yeah <laughs> <completely>. <laughs> By institutions It can very much Be enforced for good Even just for people Individually and personally mm-hmm. So for a sci-fi book Not to deal with religion at all mm-hmm. Particularly with different Diverse places And different cultures Yeah um, I found that odd But then to find that in Dune And then you see the contrast I thought was amazing That's mm-hmm. really interesting So like Can I ask How did you Find your way into paganism Like where did that start for you? That's really interesting. Because I've been a stroppy feminist for a very long time. So and, it was like a natural And it was like, why, why can men be priests? Why can't women do it? Yeah. Like, really? what? Like, why? Yeah. And just... then it was, then was looking then at, you know, um, you know, if there there's more than one just Abrahamic god, there are different gods. Mm-hmm. Um, are, there, are there goddesses? And then finding, doing going back through the histories and finding it about Lilith who was yeah. the first wife uh, wife of Adam and how um, Lilith's portrayed then as a, a mm-hmm. as a dark goddess or a demonic force. Or maybe she was demonised as a dark goddess or a demonic force. The same way the Bene Gesserits are called witches. Yeah, I read pa- that too. Powerful women can't have that. though. They're no. scary and they should know their place. <laughs> but no, and then just trying to figure that out and the reading and learning. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. That's cool. Yeah, because I definitely
1: think like I always hate... Uh, I used to, I would say I was an atheist when I was a young teen, but now I would never call myself that because of the way that that term has been used by people to act like they know better than other people and kind of make people feel bad for finding comfort and stuff.
2: I'm totally for a separation of church and state, totally for secular schools, totally for secular healthcare. Mm -hmm but I'm still a pagan and I still do stuff around full moon and people think that's crazy and they'd never do it. I'm like, that's fine. I don't expect you to do it. Yeah, I'm not always mm-hmm. no to make you do it. Yeah, If mm-hmm. it means nothing to you and it'd be stupid and silly for you to do it, yeah. don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good rule in like life.
1: Yeah. In general. Is
0: there a, like a big organisation of paganism in Ireland or is it more um, individualised?
2: No, we ha- there, we've we had uh, legal pagan weddings in Ireland since 2009. Oh, okay. we cool. actually cool. legal psalmonisers. Uh, we're not we're semi-officially organised, so pagan Mm. life rights are the group who do the lobbying and the sponsorship behalf, where we've got more pagan, self-identified pagan people on the census in Ireland than we do Jewish people Mm. Yeah, and if you go back to the census in 2001-2007 you see pantheist and pagan in our census records so we've always had pagan people in Ireland, Mm. you know the the church didn't get everybody (laughs) Okay, Mm.
1: that's so interesting Right. I wanted to ask, actually, about um, what do you think about when Dune came out and then David Lynch like started to distance himself from
2: it? It wasn't... Uh, well, he's very much the uh, director's author. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But Which, sorry, that's... Everybody don't know that word. It means that it's his vision and his creation. The yeah. same with author writes with a pen, the author director writes the story with the camera. But because he didn't have final cut, mm-hmm. he felt that it wasn't his story. Yeah. And I can completely understand that I'm being disappointed in that and walking the distance self, but his name is salas. It. it's not like he got Alan Smithy stuck on it.
0: He did on the extended cut, which is interesting they uh, they they didn't actually film new stuff for it they just reused scenes and stuff didn't they there's a
2: version out there which is very weird and very unusual and this is I find fascinating because I only tend to see this in anime movies Mm. which is when something gets recut and remade again and Mm. I'm not talking over I'm talking when they go low let's try So, so there's a really weird cut of dune out there which has pictures drawn at the beginning and a long voiceover explaining the AI rebellion that when the empire got bigger and bigger, the AI took over and were given mm. more control over looking after humanity mm. until the AI became oppressive and you were not allowed to eat sugar. You're not making your own decisions. Humanity is stupid. We're taking over. Oh. And then yeah. you have the rebellion against the AI. And that's the long historical backdrop to Dune. Mm. But somebody added all of that in. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> I feel like that's something that would need more explanation now than like in the 60s. Because now when you have something that's as technologically advanced as June, you're like, why is there where no computers you know yeah. was in the 60s I it was don't like know
2: because we're, no, we're, we're post Terminator well that's true we're post yeah. Skynet you yeah. know just you say to people Skynet they automatically know an AI which has decided to take mm. over and eradicate mm. or control humanity that's true. so there was no that one word Skynet back when it was made
0: that's true actually yeah huh.
2: what do you think
1: I was going to ask like in terms of you know the way basically now we're living in an era where stuff like machine learning and AI is becoming so advanced that are really like rapid pace where do you see, like, sci-fi going to be ahead of what's happening now, considering how fast
2: everything is moving, you know? So, writers are my rock stars and I like to lick their brains by reading the books they write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, two, of, two of the writers and stuff I really love in terms of uh, future forecasting and future shock is Warren Ellis and Charles Stross. Mm-hmm. Charles Stross mm-hmm. said he's not writing near future shock stuff anymore he just can't keep up mm. um, Warren's stuff is really amazing uh, I would very much recommend Injection which is written by Warren Ellis uh, drawn by Declan Shavely inked and coloured by Georgian Belair um, it is folklore and sci-fi and horror and spooky and it's amazing mm-hmm. and there's bits and sections of it set here in Dublin one of the characters is actually Irish so the, the long mm. st- you see her driving by the Longstone. it's so cool oh. <laughs> um, but you, I think we got to look at that. Um, uh, Warren Ellis has uh, a newsletter he puts out. Um, um orbital observations, and he's yeah. You know, when he, I was at a talk when Injection was launched, and he's like, "I'm just going to read you five actual science headlines for today," and one of them was, "The screams of zombie stars have been picked up by telemetry." So these are stars that are dying. Mm-hmm. And you know they're they're eating everything around them because mm-hmm. they're dead star. We've got the they've picked up the screams of zombie stars on our telemetry, mm. and that's well that's science fact yeah. mm. <laughs> in the news. What does science fiction do?
3: Yeah.
2: I think we need to go back to, um, as Warren would say, getting all getting some of our breeding players off the planet because mm-hmm. <laughs> a bit stupid to keep all of your breeding pairs in one place, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that we need to go back to looking out and beyond. I don't know. I'm I'm I'm. Part of me thinks, well, we need better agriculture here. We we definitely need to feed more people here. We definitely need to look at uh, investing in renewable energy sources. Mm-hmm. And people say, you can't really look at going off planet when we've got to fix stuff here. Mm-hmm. But my argument is then if we didn't go to the moon, we didn't have Apollo, we wouldn't have printed circuit boards because mm. it was all wire-wrapped circuit boards. We wouldn't have had Velcro. We wouldn't have had the advantage in technology, uh, in material science and in nutrition if it wasn't for the money put into NASA to do these things and mm. solve those problems in the first place.
1: So, like, space exploration has effects on Earth that a lot of people probably don't really think of them being linked. Like Velcro, like, I didn't think. So they created Velcro for use in space? Yes. Mm. That's really good. Cool. Teflon as well was a space yes. thing, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah. yeah. I love non
2: stick pants.
0: Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, of Love sticking all of things together and yeah. non stick pants.
2: <laughs> <All> the solar <laughs> yeah. panels are what are on the satellites. So we mm-hmm. wouldn't have our mobile phones and been able to go to check in, you know, wherever mm-hmm. um, if it wasn't for being to have solar panels. Everything's connected. Mm-hmm. So, one of the other writers that I like that's on my list of writers of brains I like to lick is Dan Avnet. Um, Dan is one of these writers who writes. Oh dear God, everything. Uh, he did Alien Isolation. who uh, wrote for Shadows of a Mordor So that's his computer game credits. He's currently doing Aquaman. He put the the lineup of Guardians to, of the Galaxy together, which has Rocket and Groot. You wouldn't have been Groot except for him taking on the comic and putting comics put the line together. Mm. He's a credit in, in both of the films. He's a massive writer for Black Library who do all the Warhammer books. And his writing partner is his wife Nick, and she wrote Savant, and she writes some of the fantasy stuff for Warhammer. Um, um, so as well as getting to have Dune as my theme, I got to have one of my favourite writers as the guest of honour for this year's Octocon. So, um, yes, very happy. <laughs> <laughs> so when is it? Octocon mm. is the 6th, the 8th of October. Mm-hmm. It's happening in the Camden Court Hotel, the top of Camden Street, which has the, uh, the Orchard D2 box outside. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, we're running for the three days. We have the Golden Blasters happening, which is our national science fiction short film festival. Cool. and if you come along and watch the screenings you get to you get to vote for what film you like so we've got cosplay panels on a whole lot of things we've got a whole lot of guests we're really pleased Ian McDonald's coming down uh, from up north we have people from Steve Jackson's games going to be there to demo games mm. um, currently it's 35 euros for the entire weekend that's a really good value mm. um, and we have concession rates for people that are students or uh, under 18 or not working mm. or
1: whatever and that, that's 20 euros mm. And have you found is this your first year in charge of the entire festival?
2: It's my first year's chair. Yeah. I was mm. co chair last year and Pierre the year before that. I helped run well, Eurocon, which was the same way WorldCon moves country moves city every year. Eurocon is the European Science Fiction Convention that it moves mm. country. Mm. So when we had it here it was called Shamrocon. <laughs> <laughs> um we had a thousand people um mm. at that. And um also I'm really excited that um we'll have people from the Dublin 2019 Worldcon bid so Worldcon is 75 years old it's the oldest running science fiction convention ever, that's where the mm-hmm. Hugo Awards happen and it moves city every year so far it's only been in 7 countries but in uh, 2019 it's going to be here in Dublin, cool. it's going to be in the convention centre mm-hmm. So if you, uh, it's 5 days and if it's your first Worldcon it's €100 Euro flat in and that gets you access to everything mm-hmm. George R. R. Martin goes to it every year and buys his own ticket so does Neil Gable Wow, oh, okay. So it's that level of a big area. Yeah. is
1: like... Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. So what's it like like being a science fiction fan and then running something like to, and being in contact with all these writers and people that do all the things you love? Is that like intimidating or is it yeah. nicer?
2: No, because they're really lovely people. Mm. Because I got to meet Katie Murphy and she had written um, the Walker paper books, which are really interesting because it's a Native American Irish person living in America. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of going through this and kind of going... I don't know. This is an an author that's writing this stuff, and she's from Alaska. How, mm. how you know American authors get the Irish stuff kind of not right? But it was really good, and I had and read all her books, and then I got to meet her at Octocon and Katie's amazing. She's mm-hmm. lovely. Um, also, I got to meet Michael Carroll. Uh, Michael Carroll is the current one of the current writers on Judge Dredd. Uh, he's also written the. Uh, New heroes, quantum prophecy, YA books, mm-hmm. and he's another one of those writers whose brains I like to lick. So I got to, <laughs> I got to sit and be on a panel and talk about 2000 AD with him, and I get to be on a I get to be on a panel with him and Dan Ablett and talk to 2000 AD with them at right. So cool. That's really yeah, cool. it is very
1: cool. What <laughs> Do you feel like if you think about you when you were like a little kid and you now would you think that you were cool to get to do all this stuff?
2: Well I'm always like writers and whenever I got a chance to get books signed I always did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge Terry Pratchett fan and when he was at the top of top of his production, mm-hmm. we got two books a year. We got one in July for my birthday and we got one in December for Yule.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um so I, and I got my copy of Soul music signed by him, and I got my copy of Hogwatch signed by him mm-hmm. so reading was always such a, a big thing growing up mm. but Dublin is the type of city where you would bump into people yeah. that write books and mm-hmm. have a pint with them or sure I met your man or I met your one Yeah, so it's not something I find intimidating mm-hmm. I do try to keep the fangirl squeed down a bit mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who have you, who would be like if you could pick one person to meet like dead or alive and talk to you and fan girl as much as you want. Who would it be in front in the sci-fi world? Like in terms of film directors, authors, anybody like that?
2: I would want to talk to the person who wrote the first science fiction book ever. Who is it? Mary Shelley. Mm. She that, wrote. She yeah. wrote Prometheus, which is Frankenstein's monster. Mm. When you're so bored, you don't. You just don't want to have another threesome with your husband and his friend. So you go and write. <laughs> write so you go and write stuff instead. Percy yeah. had a strange. Yeah, it was mm. interesting. I, I, consensual adults making their own arrangements and agreements (laughs) exactly (laughs) keeping your husband's heart after he dies plus I would love to talk to her about her mother because her mother was Mary Wolland yes Mm. and Mm. her stuff was one of the first treatises on women's liberation Mm -hmm. written back in the 1800s so to actually sit down and have a chat with Mary Shelley that'd be cool Mm. that's a really good choice
0: yeah you can't beat that I think no (laughs) I mean I never met Terry Pratchett which I'm very sad about because I've been reading his books since I was like nine Terry Pratchett
2: Terry Pratchett was Octocon's very first guest of honour back in 1990 Wow and we were very lucky to have his daughter Rihanna come over last year Mm. but we had and it was one of the first engagements she took on since her dad died Mm. and we've been very clear with her and been asking her for a couple of years that we wanted to talk to her because Mm. of the game stuff she writes. Yeah, Tomb Raider. Personally, I wanted to talk to her about Overlord, which is an amazing series to books and the original minions. Not these green-yellow things. (laughs) Yellow (laughs) things, no. The original minions and these hobgoblin creatures and they're Mm. different elemental creatures. Mm. So um, we wanted to talk to Rihanna about her work on that. So we had had her last year's guest of honour with... um, Peter Morrod and Dan Duane. And Dan Duane has written little, uh, the Young Wizard series, but she's also written Star Trek over the years. Okay. And they enjoyed being at Octocon so much last year, they're coming back. <laughs> That's, that's so great, cool. that's such a nice yeah. endorsement isn't
3: it? But That's the thing, yeah.
2: the, the, the guests who come along genuinely enjoy it because we're not a red rope convention, Yeah, we don't segregate people off, mm. the guests are on the panels and then go to other panels and they hang around the bar and take part in the conversations at the weekend Yeah, which I think is really nice because I think we'll probably have maybe 400 people over the weekend, mm-hmm. which is that kind of intimate uh, convention, so you get people then hanging out in the lobby just Mm -hmm. chatting which is great Mm
1: -hmm. it's like a nice sense of community instead of this kind of like us and them situation it's very much a
2: community I bought my own ticket to Octagon even though I'm the chairperson I'm putting Mm -hmm. in all of these hours which I'm happy to and Mm -hmm. all of my committee I'm a wonderful committee of people they all bought their tickets as well because it's by fandom for fandom Mm -hmm. and not for profit
1: yeah that's really cool I think a lot of other cons could do better in that regard
2: I think the majority of conventions do GaleCon runs at the end of October which is the National Games Convention mm-hmm. uh, that's happening in the Baldsbridge uh, Hotel um, they're running oh god they're coming up on the 30th year so they're running a very long time and then you've got It's a Con that runs over in Galway you've got Warpcon down in Cork mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm very much a geeky super nerd <laughs> <laughs> sitting here in my Baldur's Gate t-shirt yeah.
0: <laughs> do you go to a lot of cons besides um, the ones you're organising yes yeah,
2: like I came up through convention running. I was peer on commission for Galcon in two thousand nine, okay. mm-hmm. and then I've given a hand with a couple of them, and I'm at the stage where um, I don't necessarily uh, get involved at committee level a lot of them but I'll be a consultant mm-hmm. or if somebody's taking on um, well Twitter was only starting back in 2009 and I was running the Galcon account for that and doing mm-hmm. uh, uh, online peer on social media engagement um, so I will do conventions that are doing that because some of them are uh, college sock based so mm-hmm. you have a rotation of people coming through so I've always said look I'm available give me a shout mm-hmm. I'll help you tailor or put together your, your, mm-hmm. your plan for
1: running it that's cool so like you can pass on your knowledge to other people and like the whole scene will just build from there
2: that's why Octocon's were running for the last 27 years mm-hmm. that's why we've never been in the news for anything that you know wasn't positive mm-hmm. you know and we're really lucky the Camden Court Hotel is very accessible all of our rooms are all on the one floor and mm-hmm. um, they do an amazing uh, uh, they do amazing gluten free and vegetarian food as well mm-hmm. and the staff are looking forward to us having, coming in mm-hmm. and wandering around in costumes and talking about bizarre things at the bar <laughs> they actually thrilled to have us back i say it's really
1: enjoyable for the staff like it's such a yeah. cool few days for them
2: yeah.
0: makes a difference from like businessmen yeah. Eating scones so, <laughs> yeah well, well, the, Scones are good They are good
2: Well one but of the things that we do that the World Con does as well is we have badges so instead of getting a wristy, it's a badge with whatever name you like because some people want their legal names we people have a name nickname name their own and found them as so mm. mine will just have Janet on it and then we do ribbons underneath so if somebody's talking to me they'll know my name mm. or they'll know who they were talking to mm. and everybody's usually happy to wear their badge but then you'll have ribbons so I have one which is Pretty Little Dead Girls which is a ribbon that says that I like Shannon McGuire's work. She's another awesome. Shannon who won her Hugo this year, and I was so happy for her. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's a TARDIS ribbon on it. So you get different ribbons, I mean, it's a different fandom. So it's very easy to walk and say, so oh, hi, Alan, mm. nice to meet you. I'm so-and-so, and what are you into? And then talk about your interests. That's really cool. Mm. It's like a little,
1: like a bunch of signifiers so yeah.
2: you can... It's a cheat sheet. Yeah, mm. that's amazing. That's such a good idea. We also yeah. have one ribbon, which is, if it's your first octagon, so people then will go, oh, this is your first one. How are you finding it? Do you have any questions? Because people are so inclusive. That's so nice. Mm. Yeah, we have a, a wonderful code of conduct and everybody does their best to make mm. it a welcoming space. Uh, we run LGBT panels. We run a whole range of inclusiveness. Um, the, the first chair of Octocon was a woman. We've had lots of women in Octocon. We, run, we do run into a bit of gender balance sometimes with our panels. Mm. We happen to try put token men on. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can end up with too many women on, on panels. Um, but we also have a purple ribbon this year, which is a uh, an invisible disability ribbon. Oh, well, that's brilliant. That's such that's a good cool. idea. Yeah. So whether, but we get people who are non-neurotypical. I've like got family members who are non-neurotypical mm-hmm. or people who have anxiety disorders or people who have fibromyalgia or yeah, MS or, what, or whatever, mm-hmm. chronic pain. So that um, if people if people want to put one on, when they come in, or if mm. they find they need to put one on, yeah. it just helps us mind each other and be mindful. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, I, if I see someone that has a purple badge, I will give up a chair closer, or mm. I will not take a chair closer to the front because they need closer to the door. Mm-hmm. Just stuff like that. Such a nice, like, inclusive
1: atmosphere, I would yeah. say
0: Yeah. And with stuff that I find, stuff like that, it's once it's said to you and you have the idea of it, you're like, oh, everybody should do that. That's so simple. Yeah. You know?
1: Like the ribbon, thing, yeah. that's such a good idea because it just eliminates loads of the awkwardness that would make you feel nervous about talking to people at stuff like that yeah. or any kind of event and I'm, I'm like
0: i feel like i'm always reading stories of people who have invisible disabilities like on buses yeah. taking up mm-hmm. seats going i really need to see but people are staring at me and i feel awful mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah whereas people just don't realize
2: well one of the things that fandom does is fandom sends people to events so there's this mm-hmm. thing called collar bust and Connor Bust is particularly put forward to help people, fans of colour, to attend events they can't otherwise. Because okay. it looks at the inequalities uh, in society mm-hmm. and says that usually people of colour are more discriminated against and have lower income. But we want to have fandom and science fiction and fantasy horror are, is for everybody. Mm-hmm. So we gave two memberships to Connor Bust. And they then run online auctions to, to make sure that we have more people can come along. But you also get fan funds, there's one called the Nordic Fan Fund. And what happens is they, they, that's uh, Iceland, Finland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark. And usually they pick a fan who's done a lot of work with their own committees and they send them to an English-speaking convention in one of those five countries. Turns out that there wasn't one for this year for them because Helsinki was happening with the Worldcon there. Mm. So they turned around and got in touch with us and said, can we invade Dublin? So you're not, you're not really one of the Scandinavian countries, but like you know, some of our people are buried there, and we'd like to send our Nordic fan fund winner mm. to your convention as an English speaking convention. And I was like, I absolutely would love to. That's yeah. so cool. And they said, so we're we're going to be sending her. This is, we're going to be sending them. So they have there's a bidding war and people mm. get nominated. And they said I, said, I said, well, we'll happily give a membership, mm. um, free membership for that person wherever it is. And it turns out that there's a bunch of people coming over. From Lordy Sweden and Denmark who wanna check out our check out our convention. That's great. And I've been yeah. saying to them, Well here's the <laughs> Here's the Viking box. Yeah, all the mm. Viking related things that you can find. Yeah, so yeah. we're we're being invaded again, happily so. Yeah. So <laughs> but, that, that, but different that, than the first time around. Yeah. Mm. No, but that's the thing. It, it's for some people it's soccer. You, a, a, what matter when we can walk into a pub and there's a game on and they can talk to complete strangers mm-hmm. about that soccer match and, and the local team mm-hmm. and then for some people it's uh, tabletop board games you yeah. know I've had the most amazing conversations at Galecon where we've played a and d scenario mm-hmm. and there have been five tables of people five groups playing the same scenario the same story mm. and then after what did you do did you find this what happened and you yeah. have these amazing mm-hmm. conversations with people and you might not even know their name yet and the same mm-hmm. thing in fandom it's talking mm-hmm. about the things that you love and you're passionate about with other people mm-hmm. which is why we have a Steven Universe sing-along happening on Sunday morning <laughs> at octa <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> we, will right. ha- we will have lyrics People are are uh, encouraged to bring along music. There's a couple of people bringing their ukuleles. Oh my god!
1: Oh Eleven my
3: god.
1: a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I love Stephen Universe so much. But that sounds that's really cool. That's deadly. I really like that. Yeah, I think my thing that I could talk to anyone about would be things like Steven Universe or like RuPaul's Drag Race. Probably mm-hmm. that's like my sport. You know. Yeah.
2: Well, we have Octicons, Next Monster Project, Kaiju happening. This year. Okay. (laughs) Which is, we're constructing a six foot by six foot by six foot cardboard city. And people are encouraged to come along and dress as their monster selves be it Sharon Needles or a Godzilla or a Gayzilla and romp through the cardboard city and sections of it you can knock over and we'll, we'll have a green screen behind it to take photos oh my god
1: that is amazing that sounds so fun and like cathartic that's like yeah. those, <laughs> those like um, you know like in Japan you can like rent those rooms with like old stuff in it and like you you can pay to trash a room
0: I've never heard of that Yeah, is that a
1: thing? that's like uh, it's one of my dreams is to do that Like
0: that does sound good <laughs> You it's can even pick a, play- a
1: baseball bat or whatever, and just like, go for it. We've just recovered, so many nice things. This has been a lot
0: of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have any final thoughts on June?
2: Yeah. Well, I love it. If everybody will like it, that's fine. <laughs> um, you can come along to Octagon and not know Dune. I don't know anything about Dune. Mm. We're running a special LARP on the Friday evening, which is written by Gar Hanrahan, who's an amazing writer. Who's written RPG tabletops for years and has got a new book coming out. Uh, his online handle is Myth Holder. And he wrote a Dune, which is a political story, which is the Council of Changes, which is when the decision was made to, to give, take Dune from the Harkonans and give it to the Atreides, mm. Mm. so it's that political meeting. So the oh. LARP, the LARP is that political meeting, and that cool. that's happening on, on the the Friday. Mm. But if you don't know anything about Dune and it's not your bag, like I said, we've got Stephen Universe, we've got YA, we've got stuff on comics, stuff on panels, mm. um, we've a free cosplay photo shoot with prints, uh, which is included in your in your weekend passes. A whole heap of stuff that can be happening. Really that sounds good.
0: so good. Who's your? Are you going to do the LARP?
2: Uh as chair there are certain things I cannot I can, oh, really? do is
0: yes. that disappointing uh,
2: well the LARP is going to be three hours it's three hours yeah. of interactive storytelling yeah. and I'm on a panel at, at that time oh, okay. about mm-hmm. psychers and witches and psychics with, with Dan and Nick that'd be so. very cool that'd be cool you? though yeah, yeah. Um, so if people want to know more about Octocon you can find us at www.octocon.com O-C-T-O-C-O-L and you'll find us on Twitter and Facebook too
0: I think we're good yeah I think that's, that's great that was great thanks, thanks so, so much Janie Hulawan yeah. bye everybody
2: Bye.
0: so there we go another episode thanks again to Janie who won she was really cool she was great that was so interesting and I want to be in fandoms me now. too I just want to find that thing and just be a fandom of it
1: I, but I think it's because you are probably the same as me where you're fans of lots of things but mm-hmm. not in like a deep enough way
0: I think part of it was like I was really into like this and stuff yeah and like it's slightly it's intimidating and also it's like ego where you're gonna be meeting people who know more about it than you do and if mm-hmm. that's your identity that you're really into this yeah then suddenly you're around people who are better at your thing than you are
1: it turns something fun into a competition but I think that's the attitude towards fandoms rather than the fandom itself oh yeah no
0: that from like, totally I, I think I've had a completely wrong impression of fandoms mm-hmm. from that yeah Octocon sounds like it's gonna be yeah great
1: Kind of cozy? Yeah, As a exactly. convention goes, I've never been to a convention.
0: No, me either. I, I tried to go to a Star Trek one when I was um, 11. They said it was in a hotel in Waterford, and I, my parents dropped me off, and I walked in and saw no signs or anything for the convention, and then I was too shy to ask because so I was left. And then I never went. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Being too shy to do things is a real problem.
0: Yeah, I've been too anxious to ask...
1: Questions. Questions, yeah, that's yeah. the main thing.
0: You just go, I don't understand what's going on, so I shall leave now. Goodbye. Yeah. Even if I don't understand how a queue is working in a shop, i like go, no. I had a panic attack in a sh- an ice cream shop in Rome. Oh, no. Because it was so packed and I couldn't figure out what the queueing system was. So I was like, no, we have to leave. I can't. Like, I, You know, instead of yeah.
1: tackling this, I'm just not, I don't want ice cream anymore. We're going
0: to go to the second best ice cream shop in Rome according to this guide because that was supposed to be the best one. But it was uh. just packed.
1: I think it depends on the day some days you're like I can do this yeah. I can solve this problem mm-hmm. other days you're like I'm scared I don't want my mom.
0: yeah I think the difference between the best ice cream shop and the second best ice cream shop in Rome probably isn't that negligible, much negligible I would yeah, imagine yeah I would say so yeah yeah. so you can follow um, Jan at, at janet underscore os which well works well uh, you can follow me at alan underscore mcguire you
1: can follow me at incog alan it's like incognito but just the first half of that word with my name
0: yeah because you're completely anonymous on twitter so. At the time I was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, your anyway. brand, it's your brand now.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to vomit off my cure really quick. I'm not. Done. I haven't. And okay. I won't. You
0: have my word. Thanks to D. MacDonald mm-hmm. for the artwork.
1: Good drawings.
0: Yeah. And if you come to our live show on September 27th in, in the, the Tivoli, uh, we will have Juvenilia badges mm-hmm. featuring that artwork. And the badges look very cool. And we're very excited to, to give them out to you. We also the have... People
1: a guest now.
0: We do have a guest now. Mm-hmm. We can't quite believe we've gotten a guest of this stature yeah. for his first live show. She's but class. But we did it. We somehow did it. We d- we sent a couple of polite emails. Very and the, polite. And the politeness worked.
1: Being nice is cool.
0: It's its own reward.
1: Yeah. No, it is its own reward. But yeah. then the other reward is that you get Marie <laughs> Dolan Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. To come and talk Marie Dolan Kennedy
0: is going to Dolly gonna be on the show. We we don't know what topic she's picked yet. No. But it'll be good. Mm-hmm. And then like Rudol Kennedy from Orphan Black,
1: from *Downton Abbey*,
0: and *Sing Street*,
1: *Commitments*, and all of her albums. She's released so many albums since like the late '80s. Yeah,
0: and they're really good as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. She's gonna be on a stage talking to me and Ellen, uh, and we're gonna talk to her and try not fine. go your from the telly and the films. Yeah, because that's something we need to get over. Make well, like famouses of ourselves. Yeah. We might like warm ourselves up as well as the crowd for half an hour first. Yeah, no, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Just psych like ourselves up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's, the tickets are out and it's a double bill with the Alison the show. So it's it'll be a good two hours of your life. Yeah. Probably. You get, get a, a badge, shot. you might get a goodie bag. Who knows? Yeah. Um, Is that everything?
1: I think so, yeah. You can maybe leave us a review. Yeah, Subscribe review. Subscribe would be good. yeah. Try and subscribe on iTunes and on your podcast thingy. I know it's a hassle to listen, <laughs> but it's where it counts. Please yeah. do
0: it. It's just, it's an, un, like, blame Apple for being blame so dominant. Steve it's Jobs. Not, it's is not our fault.
1: Ir- orchestrating all of this from beyond the grave.
0: Yeah. He's in charge of the iTunes. That's why the iTunes charts make no sense whatsoever. It's because no. Steve Jobs He's has... Just messing with us. ...eldritch, ghostly reasons for how everything is.
1: <laughs> there it is. It yeah. Is. He's wearing a white turtleneck because he's in heaven. <laughs> okay, oh,
0: that's nice. Uh, I listen to Mother House stuff podcasts as well. Yeah, like for instance, uh, Mother Folklore with Dara O'Shea
1: mm-hmm. Our sexual history.
0: Yeah, or Double Love, the Sweet Valley High podcast. Yes, with Anna Carey and Caroline. So that's it. I think that's all our news. Yeah. If we had an our news copy, that would be like four pages worth.
1: Yeah, we'd actually get in trouble because you're yeah. supposed to keep it to a page a day.
0: I don't know what picture we draw for that one. I used to draw the, the Ghostbusters house every day as my picture. <laughs> I got really good at it is what I could draw.
1: I remember I used to, there was a time when, when a girl lost her tooth and I just drew a tooth. <laughs> like a bloody t- stumped <laughs> tooth. It wasn't even your tooth. No, I was like, this is Grace, you lost your tooth. Oh no, it's not even Grace. Grace isn't the tooth, it was
0: her tooth. <laughs> anyway. Bye everybody. Bye.